Chiefs are going to win. And they all said, you better have said it, huh? Hope you're not envious of those people who are freezing to death out in the stadium today, right? You're in this, this warm area. Later on, you'll mosey on home and sit down in front of a warm TV and enjoy the game. Amen? Hopefully you'll enjoy the game. <laughs> All right, let's get ready. You ready? Ready? I've been talking to you, uh, trying to get ready to preach this series for a few weeks now. And series on resolutions that heal... I've been trying to convince you that God wants your life to be, as in the, in the words of Genesis, very good. And in the New Testament application of that very good, I'm using Galatians 5, and 23 to define what God has defined our lives to be. The fruit of the Spirit is, and this is supposed to be, I think, the description of our life in Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, can you memorize those right quick so... They're right in front of your mind at any given moment. And uh, I told you, I, I think a few times, that there is a formula for healing that used in Christian counseling in every generation I know of and in every situation of. That is truth plus grace plus time equals healing. Truth plus grace plus time equals healing. If you know the truth and you receive grace, give yourself some time for God to work and there will be healing coming into your life. In other words... You can get back to that place of love, joy, peace, patience, right? So it is possible to get there. The formula for death is truth, justice, um, truth, justice, and time. That equals death. Because if we get what we deserve, there's nothing that is going to good going to come out of that for us. Because we all have sinned and fallen short. We know the wages of sin is death. So we don't want truth plus justice. We want truth plus grace. Amen. And remember, the, the foundational parable that, that I am using for this whole series is Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I will dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. And so my thesis for this has been that if our lives are not fruitful, we need somehow for there to be a breaking up of the ground around it and fertilizer brought into that root system. And they all said, so with that, we're ready to start the series. But wait a minute. I'd like to, I don't, I don't think we have the, passage, uh, the Genesis passage, do we? There's a passage from Genesis I want to read to you that, uh, b- before I get started today, and he's, he's delaying for some reason. And, and I'm going to read this. I, w- I was actually, you may not believe this, I was doing a power walk this week. My res- New Year's resolution, you know, get, get in better shape. Shut up. And uh, I was listening to Scripture, and this Scripture I was listening to, and I, I thought, what a image of what I'm trying to say on Sunday morning. So I'd like to read this to you. I don't think it's in your notes or any place. So just listen and, and, and pay attention to when the word well comes up, as in water well. It says, there was a famine. This is Genesis chapter 26, verse number 1. There was a famine in the land besides the earlier famine in Abraham's time. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in the land for a while. I will be with you and bless you. How many like that? Stay in the land. I will be with you and bless you. For you and your descendants, I will give these lands and confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Praise God. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements and my commands and my decrees and my laws. So, in response to what the Lord said, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. Isn't it nice that when the Lord says something, the so is, so we obeyed? 
Don't ever, friends, separate obedience from fruitfulness. Don't ever separate obedience from fruit. It's, it's always going to be a package deal. Down to verse 12, Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. And He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of Abraham, his father Abraham, the Philistines, what they do? They stopped them up. I have to remember that you, you do have it up there. Wow, these guys are on top of things. Stopped them up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same name as his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water. Maybe I should stop and just pause for a minute. If you are living in a time of drought and famine and you're in a desert area, water is kind of important. They all said... <laughs> Is very important. Isaac dug wells and he found fresh water. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. Well, then they should have dug it up, right? <laughs> the water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well. And no one quarreled with him, so he named it Rehoboth, don't you like those places when you have a place where no one's quarreling with you? And they all said, saying, The Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. From there he went to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord there. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Amen. Meanwhile, Abimelech came to him and from Gerar and said, with his personal advisor and commander of his forces, Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We have clearly seen that the Lord is, what the Lord has given you. So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty that you will do us no harm. In other words, they're seeing God do so much good to them. They're saying, we've got to make a peace with this guy. Just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace, and now you are blessed by the Lord. Then Isaac made a feast, and they ate and drank. I'm almost done. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they left him in peace. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we have found water, and they call it Sibaha. And to this day, the name of the town is called Beersheba. Whew, got to catch my breath. Now, I'm not going to talk about the meaning of that lengthy passage. What I'd like to do is talk about the imagery of that lengthy passage. In that lengthy passage, the blessings of God are being poured out upon Abraham and one of the critical aspects of those blessings is the well water. And the Philistines keep coming along and filling up the wells with dirt and whatever they can throw in them. And as I was listening to that this week, I thought how often it is that God gives us promises like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, and something comes along and fills up that well where we can't get to it anymore. The Philistines come in and mess with our supply because Abraham, excuse me, Isaac cannot be a great herdsman without a lot of water. He's got, to, he's got to take care of his family. He's got to take care of his workers. And he's got to take care of his livestock. So what I want to share with you today is, is just stop and think for a moment about what it would mean. Apparently we've lost. <laughs> what? 
Is that their cell phone? In the name of God. I thought one of the kids was being skinned alive. Can we start over? I'll read that passage again. We've got to talk to her about that cell phone ringer. <laughs> here. I didn't even know you could have one like that. Where was I? It's amazing to me, and I hope this doesn't sound too pessimistic, that the Holy Spirit has provided for us a capacity for love, joy, peace, patience, and all those fruits of the Spirit. And, and if we're honest, a lot of times we say, that's just not my life. That, that's just not where I'm living. So it seems to me that we have to check and see if the Philistines have come along and filled up our wells. Is, is there something going wrong? And so I'm going to try to my best to make the point that we've got to take seriously that God has planned for us a life of spiritual fruit. And so then, well, you know, things can get rough and, and we just sort of accept that that's the way it has to be. And the first thing I think we have to do to get to that life of fruitfulness if we have to make the right kind of connections. And so that's point one of my sermon here, which has now taken me three weeks to get to. Make the right connections. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. But look what David said in Psalm 22, 9. You brought me out of the womb. The Lord, you brought me out of the womb. You were with me in the womb, and, and you brought me out of the womb you made me trust you even at my mother's breast. And I read that and I thought, well, that's maybe a, a figure of speech. You created trust in me while I was nursing in the cuddling of my mother. And then I got to thinking and, and I, was, I was listening to a psych, Christian psychologist talk about this. And he brought up that if you take a child and you prop a bottle up next to them and let them get nourishment from that bottle but you never cuddle them, you never hold them, that there are regions of the brain that never develop, they never fire up, they never start working. So perhaps David wasn't just using a figure of speech. Perhaps he's saying that when my mother caressed me and fed me, something spiritual was going on in my life. There was a part of me that was getting connected emotionally, and that was creating in me a spiritual Wholeness. We were born to need connection. We were born to need people close to us. I remember I was visiting my mom a few years ago. Of course, she's with Jesus now. And uh, my mom was one of those folks when you'd go visit her, she would sit there and watch her game shows and talk in commercials. You know, you couldn't just shut everything down. And so you had long distances there, you know, while, while you're waiting for a commercial so you can talk to your mom. And I remember sitting across the living room from my mom, looking at her in her glider as she's gliding back and forth, thinking, wow, I love that woman. There is such a connection. There is such, such an intimacy. And, I, and as I thought, I thought, my life was actually formed in her body. Her body nourished me and gave me life and, and then developed, helped me develop a connectedness. Mothers, you probably haven't thought about it when you're taking care of your babies and you're loving on them that something spiritual is happening. Something spiritual is developing in the intimacy of that. The mental health, I'm going to get into Scripture in a minute, but the mental health professionals tell us in order for connections to happen, three things have to be in play. Number one, bonding. Number two, vulnerability. And number three, openness. If There's got to be bonding, vulnerability, and openness. And if we're going to have those emotional, meaningful connections with each other, we've got to have that kind of thing. Here's something I've been preaching lately to, to leaders. Would you like to hear it? Really? All of us need, listen very carefully, private places 
and safe people. Private places and safe people. And when you're with safe people in a private place, you open up your heart and you be real. Can I tell you something? Social media is not a private place. And it's not safe people. If you're having a terrible, terrible, not so good day, the worst thing you can do is get out there in the open and start venting all of your pain and agony for everyone to sort through and give you their theories. All of us have times when we feel like we're at the end of our rope, our hearts are broken, we're broken apart, and we need to turn to people who love us and say, I need help. Or maybe I don't need help. I just need you to sit there and let me vent. And then five minutes after I get done, I need you to forget about what I said. Hello? Private places and safe people. Jesus designed the church for connections. John chapter 17, verse 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. It's talking about a connectedness. Amen? The church is supposed to be a place of connectedness. Father, just as you and me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may know, may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me, have loved them even as you have loved me. Are you listening? Are you? I'm going to say something very important. It may not be profound, but it's real important. Tell me when you're ready. I hear a spattering of ready. Church was never designed to be a place you go. Church was designed to be a family you belong to. It was never designed to be a base you tag. It was designed to be a family you're connected to. And as we move and move deeper and deeper into the mega media commercialized church where people go to get an inspiring message and an impressive music demonstration and a program here and there, we have not let the church be the church. The church is supposed to be a place where people connect. It's supposed to be a place, you can't know everybody intimately, but it's a place where you have relationships there, and those relationships give you a safe group of people to be real with at private times. If you came to get inspired, it may not be too bad, but you cannot be fruitful until you get connected. You're not going to be fruitful because you came to church and got inspired by something that happened. You're going to be fruitful because you got connected. You got connected with folks who love you and you love them and and they challenge you and pray for you and lift you up and and help you find a higher plane to walk with the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 says each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in all of its various forms. If anyone speaks, that's talking about the body here, he should do as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone speaks, and we're talking about people who are operating in a spiritual relationship. I take that to mean that if I am in connectedness with my church family, and there's going to be a, a minority of people within that church family that there is a real closer connectedness to and vulnerability and transparency, that there will be times people in my life will look at me and say, the Lord told me to tell you something. I was praying for you, and I, I want you to, I, I just want you to think about this. I think I have a word for you. 
or there is a challenge speaking the very words, the very words of God, you say. That's. Could you list the names of people that you are connected to so that to the point where you trust God to speak into your life through them? Now, that doesn't place the Word of God. Don't please, don't, don't even go there. But are, is there, are there a, a group of people in your life that when they speak, you listen? Because you know they've, they've been with God. They spent some time talking to God. I, it would be to my advantage to listen when, when they say, Hey, uh, I was praying for you and, and, and this, this came to my mind. If you were to say, and maybe you on the back of your bulletin, maybe it's too private to do that. But anyhow, you should be able to list those people by name. Here are the people that are my advisory council. Here are the people that I trust God to speak to me through, through them to me. Let me let me read one more passage, then I'll give you some notes. Amen. Paul says, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. What is he saying? Connect with us. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Verse 8, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you, because you were grieving into repenting. For you felt a godly grief that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. That's the formula I told you about right there. Now, what is Paul saying? What is Paul saying here? He's saying, don't disconnect from us. Because we told you a truth that protected your soul at the expense of your feelings. Don't disconnect with us because we told you a truth that protected your soul at the expense of your feelings. You ever have anybody do that? Tell you the truth at the expense of your feelings, but it protected your soul. It was something you really needed to get a grip on in your spiritual life. You see, we tend to undervalue or even terminate these kinds of connections when someone is protecting our souls, our relationship with the God, our relationship with the Word. We tend to terminate those if they hurt our feelings. And with that, you do not have a legitimate connectedness. We will never walk in fruitfulness until we have spiritual people around us who are not afraid to hurt our feelings. Hello? We will never walk in fruitfulness until we have spiritual people around us who are willing to hurt our feelings. Still no amen. <laughs> you really don't believe this, huh? All right, let's get your notes out. I can tell you're anxious to do something besides listen. Resolutions that heal required transformational moments. Transformational moments. First of all, we transition from emotional isolation to connectedness. We transition from emotional isolation to connectedness. I have no idea. (laughs) Only suspicions when it comes to this. But I do wonder how many of us have emotionally and spiritually isolated ourselves. We've cut ourselves off from that true connectedness to other people who love us and love Jesus. Someone said, when I'm alone, I prefer to be by myself. Think about it. When I'm alone, I prefer to be by myself. How many of us are walking this Christian walk alone, even though we're 
not by ourselves. But for all practical purposes, everyone is locked out. Am I making any sense? Everyone's locked out. No one gets in. No one gets to speak into us. No one gets to encourage us. No one gets to challenge us. Though we're not alone in one sense, we're very much alone. Here is where the ground around the root system has to get broken up. Because isolation usually comes, in my opinion, when there has been a traumatic event in our lives. We trusted someone, they betrayed us. We leaned on someone, they bailed out. And, and so we, we've become hardened and we've decided from now on it's just me and Jesus, bless God. And I don't need any of you people. And that is the hardness. The Bible tells us the body is an interconnected living organism and that that body functions and we have to be a part of that body. We can't be separated from that body. So we've got to transition from emotional isolation to connectedness. You really want to have love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and self-control and faithfulness. You've got to transition from isolation to connection. That's point one. That's sub-point one. Secondly, we must transition to suspicion of our perceptions. Suspicion of our perceptions. What did I say? What? Suspicion of our perceptions. Did you know that when your mind has been hurt, disappointed, disillusioned, confused, your heart has been broken, it changes your perception and it can distort your perception to where your perception is no longer reliable. I've got to plow down this path a little ways on. If I am discouraged... I interpret my world through the lens of discouragement. And I see things through the lens of discouragement. We have to be suspicious. I get in the car after church and I'll say to my wife, Well, you know, so-and-so really insulted me. Well, what did he say? Well, he said X, Y, Z. And she said, That insulted you? Yeah. Do you think he meant it that way? What do I say now? Why are you always taking people's side against me? Instead of stopping and going, you may be right. I may have taken that wrong. My perception of what was said may have been wrong. I mean, I've had people come and see me and sit down and say, Pastor, I know you're mad at me. I just want to sort this out. And I go, what? What? I know I can tell. What? What are you talking about? I'm not mad at you. I don't know. What... Well, you said this. You said that. Well, look, that's not what I meant at all. Hello? You've got to transition to a place where you are suspicious of your perceptions. Because... They are shaped, you know. If if I grew up in a critical home, then you might be saying something you don't intend to be critical, but I take it as critical because I am preconditioned in that way. Amen? So here's my point. Get some help interpreting what you think you know. Get some help. Um. Number three, we must transition to a more accurate understanding of reality. A more accurate understanding of reality. Are we truly fruitful? Is that that true? Love? Joy, peace, patience, etc. A more accurate understanding of our reality. If we are not open 
in times of, in situations of connectedness with people, private places, and safe people, if we are not open, then we are not connected. Come on. That's the reality. We can say, well, I'm connected because I enjoy having coffee with someone. I enjoy this and I do this. And we, we, but in those situations, we're guarded. We're not connected. We're, we're, we're not in a situation where we can lean on each other and reveal weaknesses and, and seek encouragement and, and, and seek the blessings through the, those relationships. Then we need a good perception here. We need to understand here that what we are called connectedness is not at all connectedness in the biblical sense of the word. Picture for a moment how the apostles related to each other. Picture for a moment the apostle Paul walking up to the apostle Peter and saying, Man, you've lost your way. Remember when, when the Lord told you that he loves Gentiles as much as he does Jews, and now you've, you've kind of lost it and you're withdrawing from the Gentiles. You've got to get your head back on straight. Imagine how Peter must have felt being the first pope. When one of the other apostles comes up and challenges him and says, Peter, there's something wrong with you. And it's not just wrong with you, it's spreading to everybody around you. Even Barnabas, the great son of consolation, is being corrupted by your example. Man, you've got to get it together. That's connectedness, isn't it? Wow, I wish you were enjoying this. But we know people... We can know people, but we are not truly connected until they know us, the truth about us. Again, private places, safe people. So let me move from that into, now I've told you you need to be connected and the importance of connection. Let me give you three warnings real quickly before we wrap it up, start, start prayer meeting for the chiefs. Three things to be aware of. First of all, beware of codependency connections. Beware of codependency connections. I know I'm using some psychological terms, but God's blessed you with a brilliant mind. You'll be fine. Listen. Are you listening? Listen. I'm going to go over here and see if these people will listen. If we are not careful, we will invite people into our dysfunction and share our dysfunction with them, and they will share theirs with us, and we will have no benefit to each other, but we like our dysfunction and we like the permission they give us to stay dysfunctional. And we have a word for that in counseling. It's called codependency. I need you to stay fouled up because when you're fouled up, I don't feel so fouled up when I'm around you. I need you to need me. Codependency. I need you to stay messed up because that gives me a purpose in life to be there for you to be messed up with. And if you're not very careful, when you really need to get down to the brass tacks of what's wrong with you, what's going on, why you don't have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and faith, why you don't have those, you need people in your life that love you enough to want you to get better. Beware of codependent connections. Be careful that you're not pouring yourself into a relationship because painful truth is absent. If I am connected to someone in the way God wants me to be connected to them, there will be times when that relationship will be painful. They will talk to me in a way that I don't want to be talked to. They will share with me things I don't want to think about. I don't want to face it. I don't want to see it in me. But I need my brother, I need my sister to step up and say, God has something better for you. Looking at your life up close and personal, and I don't see any joy and peace and and patience. I don't see the stuff God said he wants to bring into your life. Man, we got to do something, Jeff. If I'm in a codependent relationship, they will never have that conversation with me because if I get better, 
they won't be my crutch anymore. Hello? Beware of codependent connections. And oh my goodness, they are so common. We seek out the people that we are comfortable with instead of those that stretch us. Secondly, beware of the comparison trap. Not that we dare classify ourselves or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're simply without understanding. Beware of the comparison trap. You know one of the main reasons we can't connect What would that be, Pastor? All right. One of the main reasons we can't connect is because compared to you, I may not look that good. And if you are my competitor, I'm not going to tell you anything that makes me not compare so well with you. So I can't be real with you if you're my competitor. If, if we compare each other, let's compare your life to my life, your marriage to my marriage, my job to your job, my house to your house, my car to your car, then, then there can't be any connectedness there. It is absolute human nature, but it's not divine nature. God wants us to be able to be connected and not compete with each other in this body. God wants me to see your success as my success. God wants me to see your failure as my failure. God wants us to encourage and support and strengthen one another. we got to get out of the comparison trap, or we cannot have true connections. You'll never be vulnerable with someone you're trying to outpace. I may have saved one of the roughest ones for the last, so are you ready to buckle up, chomp down? Beware of the subconscious repellent. Beware of the subconscious repellent. Let me say it again. Beware of the subconscious repellent. Are you guys ready for this? Huh? I'm ready to preach it. Just let me know when you're ready to hear it. So you hear this sermon, and uh, you say, that's right, let's do this. Let's do this. I'm, I'm going to get connected. And you start looking around to get connected, and you can't find anybody that's interested in connecting. And you go, wait a minute, how am I going to connect? And here's where we have to do something really brave. We have to stop and ask ourselves, are there subconscious repellents in my life that are pushing people away? Because there are so many people that are seeking meaningful connections in the body of Christ. Why is it that I'm having trouble finding those meaningful connections? And so there can be subconscious repellents in our lives. What if someone won't tell you, but they really think you're just really a negative person? And I don't think I can hang with you because, oh, man, all that negativity is rough to be around. And they all said, shut up. <laughs> what if you're too critical? What if people can't relax around you because they're afraid that, man, if I even laugh at something, then they're, they're going to be critical of me? What if, what if without knowing it, you're just kind of rude? What if? What if you're kind of unkind and impatient and maybe too boastful, maybe too opinionated? Maybe you're too needy. What if there are... Are you guys all right? 
What if there are things that are pushing people away and, and, and it's subconscious, you haven't figured it out yet, and, and that is keeping you from truly connecting with people? That's where you have to do this incredibly brave thing and open yourself up and say, what are these subconscious repellents in my life? I was having a conversation with a lady one time. I hadn't, I'd known of her for years, but really knew her family more than her. And uh, she called me one day and wanted to set up an appointment to see me. And she came into my office and was really in a in a very sad situ- a sad state of mind, I should say. And so we talked a little bit, and I could just tell she she was really uh, down and hurt. And so after a little bit, she said to me, "Why I came here?" She said, "You know the saying: you look like you've lost your best friend." And I said, yeah, you look like you've lost your best friend. She said, I have. She said, I, my best friend called me the other day and said, can we meet? She said, I sat down with her. We had coffee. She looked across the table at me and she said, I can't do this anymore. She said, I'm sorry. We've been friends, but I just can't do this anymore. Whenever I'm with you, it is so heavy and so depressing and so difficult that it takes me days to get over being with you. And so, I'm sorry, but I can't do this anymore. And she got up and left. And so this lady is in my office crying, telling me this story, and I said something that may not have been the most sensitive thing you could have said at at the moment. Some have said I'm blunt, but that's a lie. I said, wow, you're lucky. What? I said, you're lucky. Did you know that 999 people out of 1,000 would have just disappeared from your life? They would have never told you what the issue was. They would have just been too busy. They would have cut it off. They would have, but you got lucky. Someone sat down and opened up and said, I just can't do this. Relationally, you're just too heavy. This is a black hole. And I just can't do it anymore. So now you get a chance to look at yourself. And I said, honestly, sis, is there any truth to what she's saying? And she said, yes, there is. She said, I am chronically depressed. My parents are chronically depressed. My sister's chronically depressed. It's part of our family dynamic. We all have history of chronic and sometimes even clinical depression. So I see, you see, the truth is there is a subconscious repellent in you that's driving people away. And we can never have Well, I don't want to say never, but it's very difficult to have meaningful connections until we first look at ourselves and say, Lord, help me. We look at people who love us enough to tell us the truth and say, is there something in me? And you know what? It's the worst kept secret in the world. Everybody around us already knows it. There's people that you can say, you know, I wouldn't mind hanging out with them, but they're so judgmental. Every time you laugh at anything, they get all offended. Oh, Christians wouldn't laugh at And I said, so, man, you just don't even want to be around them because they're all the time judging you. And, and you say, that's right, they do. But they don't know it. They don't know that, that they have taken that position that is pushing people away. Am I making any sense here, friend? got to take a look at ourselves. And this is the part where you have to open up and risk something. To say to someone, I know you love me. I know you love Jesus. But I need you to be brutally honest with me. 
Am I negative? Am I faithless in my thoughts? Man, am I rude? Am I judgmental? Am I moody? Are there things going from me that are pushing people away? And sort of everybody but me knows it. And I'm the one person who doesn't realize how I'm being perceived. Hello? I'm the one person that doesn't appreciate how I'm affecting the people around me. Hello? So there is this connectedness that I believe is fundamental to fruitfulness. And the tragedy of the American church, in my opinion, is that we have replaced connectedness with programs. Run up here, hear this, do this, experience this, and we don't know each other in the church in America. We haven't connected. No one is, to use an overused phrase, doing life with us. And those weak moments and those discouraged moments, those times when when you're at, sort of at the end of your rope and you just need someone to, to talk to and express your crisis of faith or whatever it is to kind of talk you off the ledge. That's, that's connectedness. That's how we were designed to be, spiritually connected to one another. I don't know that there is any way to be a biblical Christian in the model of Scripture without connectedness. I don't think there's... I, I don't... And, you know, I've studied the Bible for a few years now. I don't know of that Christian experience that takes place on an island. That's sort of, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, we'll, get, we'll go to heaven together someday. I don't see that in Scripture. I've often thought about how the Bible even refers to us as brothers, sisters. That's, that's not a program. That's a relationship. Amen? That's a relationship. That's not something you just flip up and walk away from. That's a relationship that we have. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's talking about a connectedness. What am I saying? I know I've got to get done. you got to get lunch. Um, inside of most of us, many of us, all of us, some of us, I don't know what the answer to that is, there is an ego that can become so fragile that we will not tolerate the things we need to hear the most. There is an ego in us that is so fragile we will not tolerate the things we need to hear the most. I just won't let you tell me what I really need to hear. And that corrupts my spiritual root system. And I can't be fruitful. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, what else, faithfulness, what have I left out, you know, you see it, that's the life Jesus gave me, and sometimes I need people in my life who love me enough to hurt my feelings, who love me enough to say there's something wrong here, Jeff, can we talk about this, here's the bad news, you do too. You need people you're so connected to that they can come alongside of you and say, oh, wow, you've got to rethink that. Something is going wrong in your spiritual root system. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, please.
I, I say this once in a while, and I don't think it's ever been as true as it is right now. You need to hang on to these notes. You really need to hang on to these notes. If you did the app, I think there's a feature there where you can email them to yourself. You need to spend some time on this connection thing. Because I believe it's absolutely critical to you being what you want to be, what God wants you to be. But it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to wrestle with this. You're going to have to wrestle with it. Because it is a resolution to transform into someone that God has created you to be. And if I said today, God wants you to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, etc., and you went, okay, that's it. That's my life. Praise God. But if you're like a lot of folks who said, wow, that's not my life at all, I'm talking to you. I'm telling you, it's within reach. You don't have to live another year a fruitless life. But I'm not going to give you a Jesus box. You open it up and all the fruit jumps out on you. It's not going to happen. You're going to go through a transitional from the person, the fruitless person you are, into the fruitful person God created you to be. And I'm telling you, it begins with the right connections. First of all, obviously to God, but then to God's people. And to letting God's people be God's people in your life. Sometimes it's private places and safe people, but it always involves an openness, a willingness to receive painful truth. Father, I pray for us today. Heal up our egos so that our egos don't get in the way of our healing. Help us to hear and receive into our spirits the things that we need, the truths that we need, so that we can become fruitful. Please, Lord, don't cut the tree down. Just break up the soil around the roots and fertilize it. You'll be fruitful next year, Lord. You'll see the fruit of the Spirit start coming out. Lord, there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior, will you please give them the faith right now to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth Jesus Lord. Help them to know that you died for every sin that they would ever be guilty of and that they are forgiven and they receive you. So they believe now in Jesus. They confess him as Lord. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer with us, let us know. We need to help you get started. Amen. We'll see you back next week for the second part. Amen. Indeed, the second part.